welcome back to another episode of Let's Have a Sip. I'm your host, Sean Drinks. Today's drink is a Nulu. Shouting to the noise. Uh, it is a toasted barrel uh, exclusively from the DFW Whiskey Club. So um, this stuff is very good. It has a uh, a funny. I, I guess this is a thing that's like said in the bourbon world. Uh, but it's like it's got a tater sticker on the back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can't really read that if you're actually watching this on YouTube because it's kind of small. But so I'm going to read this out loud for everybody. This is a tater sticker. This whiskey was finished in a sherry apple brandy barrel. Ideas for a cool tater sticker include things with apples, potatoes, or taters. Girls named Brandy and Sherry, Mike Tyson, and the Catch Me Outside, how about that girl from the Dr. Phil show? So. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so it's some good stuff. Shout out to DFW Whiskey Club. Y'all y'all got some good stuff coming out. Nulu's amazing. But uh, anyways... My next guest is uh, G. She's a gangster, pretty much. She is a bourbon lover, a cigar lover, firearm, toting son of a gun. Uh, she is also a part of the Texas State Guard, Jara Hutchins. How you doing? Hello. Hello. I'm excited to be here. And I'm, I'm actually drinking almost the same thing you are. It's also a DFW Whiskey Club barrel pick, but this is the one that was finished in the honey barrels. Um, and I'm mad that I didn't get a backup bottle because I'm halfway done with this one. So that's delicious. Well, that's how I feel about any bottle that I get that I love is like, if I can't find another, another bottle, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to finish it because I'll just be super sad after the fact. It's an emotional roller coaster. Definitely. When it, when it comes to that, not getting the backup bottles, but then you haven't tried it yet. So you don't know if you should buy the second bottle. And it's just a very, the, one of the most difficult life decisions we can make. That is one of, that's funny that you say that because that's one of like the crazy things that I do whenever I go to stores. I typically go to, I have like one store that I typically will go to. Uh, I live in Dallas and I typically go to uh, Lucky Liquor on Henderson. It's a small independent store and you know, I just, it's, a, it's all about loyalty for me. But for the most part, that's where I get up say like 80% of my, my bottles. But uh, anyways, um, I've bought so many bottles that I've never tried. And then I've just got so lucky because they're just pretty damn good. And I don't know how I've gotten that lucky, but I have had some bottles where I'm like, this tastes like butt. So, <laughs> but, but yeah. So I hear you on that one. I definitely hear you on that one. But yeah, I'm enjoying this one a lot. Um, I have a, um, a pretty big or a decent collection here. Okay. I see you. Kinda, as you can see. So um, we try to, you know, but still, I, I have a finite amount of space. So, you know, if I want to get new stuff, I got to finish other stuff. So, yeah, that's I've gotten to that point just now. And my, like, I, I want to say I have, oh, I have to recount, I have to recount like once a month because I'm like getting a whole bunch of new bottles and losing some, whatever. But uh, I think the last time I counted, I have like 140 ish bottles or something like that. And my fiance is just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you, like, we, <laughs> We don't, have, we don't have room for this anymore. Like it's starting to like kind of bleed out onto like our kitchen counter and stuff like that. She's like, I don't want people to see that when, when they come in the house. They're going to think we're just massive alcoholics. And I'm like, well, I, I'm sorry. I just love did her. You, did you tell her to get rid of some shoes or something? Maybe make room in the closet? No, I can't. No, 
no, I haven't. But no, she's super cool. I'm I'm talking shit, but she's super cool about it. So <laughs> she's she's always helped me like find bourbon and stuff like that. And that's one thing I haven't really gotten her to like too much is whiskey. But I have started to slowly like wine, which is like what like I'm like what is happening to me right now? This uh, <laughs> she she loves wine, and I'm just like, am I like transforming? What the fuck is happening right now? But no, no, she's she's cool. So love you, Courtney. Wine, wine is delicious. Wine is wine is absolutely de- delicious. So she was a she had a hand in kind of showing you that I would applaud her. Wine is great. Yeah, she has because she'll like if we're ever at home on the weekends, just kind of chilling or just like kind of hanging out after a long day of work or whatever. Um, she'll be popping up in what what some sort of whatever kind of wine. It's typically like a, a cab or um, it's typically some sort of red wine and. She'll be like, you want to try some of this? And I'll just try it. And I'm like, eh, I'm just not feeling it. And then I'll do the same thing with her. And she's like, how are you drinking kerosene? And I was like, well, I love kerosene, I guess. So, but it is, I think it can be a very acquired taste. Uh, whiskey. It was for me. Um, you know, I got into it uh, kind of out of necessity. I was in a uh, genre of industry, oil and gas, uh, where, you know, no one was really going to take you seriously unless you, you know, hunted animals and, drank whiskey and smoked cigars, you know? So it wasn't something that, you know, I just, I just woke up one day and said, Hey, I should really try some whiskey. I was actually a big craft beer person Mm. and uh, was really into wine for a long time. And then, um, you know, being in that genre of industry and then, and then, you know, craft beer started to make me fat. And so it was not, uh, you know, productive for me anymore to like it. And I still do enjoy a good craft beer from time to time, but it's just like, I'm not stocking the fridge with it anymore, you know? Um, and then I uh, was dating a guy years ago that had a really extensive whiskey collection. I'm talking like he has to insure it. It's so much. Oh my God. Yeah. And so he was like, well, you should like try this, try this, try this. And he would do flights for me all the time. And I'm like, this stuff is delicious. And so I just kind of, started buying my own bottles. And then I went to high school with a guy named Dustin, who was actually one of the administrators for the DFW whiskey club. And, uh, he decided that I was finally cool enough to be a member. And, uh, but they're a great club and they do, um, we get to do ladies events every now and then. And the chicks that are in there are pretty, are pretty rad. Um, so we get, you know, they, they put together a really cool event for us where we got to go do like paint um, and we drank whiskey and they had the lady that, uh, was one of the kind of experts at Woodenville. Uh, she came and did a presentation with us and we got to try like three or four different Woodenvilles. And of course the port finish was actually my favorite, um, out of all of them. And so I finally went and got a, found a bottle of that. So, you know, that's kind of how I got into it. Now I'm just, you know, like obsessed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am too. And it's just become a problem. Any, like, so Typically for work, if I have to travel, which I, I'm a, a management employee with UPS, and if mm-hmm. I have to travel, like I'm the first thing I'm doing is like, okay, all right, where's my hotel? Where is the place that I'll be kind of domiciled out for the week or whatever? And I'm like, what liquor stores are around there? So, right. Yeah. And I'm just always hunting, and it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely an obsession. So it's a very expensive obsession, obsession, which obviously. <laughs> Yes, I do that with cigar lounges too. When I travel, I try to figure out where the where the closest one is to where I'm staying. And I don't smoke. Um, 
as much as people think I do, they're, you know, people are, I mean, they think I smoke a cigar every day and I really don't. I probably smoke once or twice a week. Um, but I, I really enjoy it when I do, you know? So that reminds me, um, I'm trying to get into cigars a lot more. I'm not super, I haven't really dipped my toes into it too much, but, um, I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day and, uh, I'm getting ready to go back to Tennessee, which is where I grew up. And I was hitting up some of my buddies saying, hey, we should meet up at this place called the Akoe Cigar Lounge. And um, he had, my buddy that I was just telling you about had posted a picture on his Instagram of some cigar called like God of, God of something. God of fire. God yes. of fire. Yeah. And I was like, what is that? And he was like, he's like, if you don't know what this is, it's going to change your life. And I'm like, well, okay, I want to get a stick of that then. It's the smoothest and most amazing cigar I've ever had. Really? Um Yes, it's wonderful. I had it for the first time. I was the master of ceremonies for the Boutique Cigar Festival this year in Indiana. And um, one of my buddies from the Chicago area, really Peoria, but um, he found some at this little cigar shop in Indiana um, because they're apparently very hard to find. And so he let me try one. And it was Steve Saka is probably my favorite cigar blender of all time. and, And this cigar blows away. Uh, what what he makes and, and the Sin Compromisio is probably one of my favorite cigars that I've ever smoked and that's a Saka cigar. So Steve Saka used to be the master blender for Drew Estate and Drew Estate has a lot of different lines. They've got the Ligos and all that, you know, all that stuff. And um, he kind of came up with that. And then, um, you know, I really enjoyed the nubs too. And we actually, I do a podcast once a month with the Great Lakes Smoke Show, um, which they just rebranded. But uh, we we interviewed, or I did not, I was not on this episode, but Sam, um, I'm not sure exactly how to say his name, um, but I think it's like L-E-C-C-I-A, um, so Lucia maybe, um, but they interviewed him and he came up with the nub cigar. So he's been in the industry for a long time. So these are all great cigars, but then you smoke the God of Fire and it's like everything in your life changes. So if you ever get an opportunity, if you ever find them, if you ever get an opportunity to smoke one, um, you need to jump on that with gusto. Okay. All right. I say yeah. all that to say that. <laughs> okay. No, I, that's funny that you like my my brain's kind of weird too in the in the aspect of like you can be talking about we'll say Spider Man back here, uh, and I can think about like I don't know dog shit. I don't know. It just my brain's weird. So and I I get it. Um, I know that you're affiliated with uh, two different. Two different restaurants that are based in Arlington, if I'm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's Arlington. Um, here say Arlington, and then another restaurant called uh, Mercury Chop House, correct? Yes. So uh, I think Hearsay is already open, and then Mercury Chop House is, I guess, being built as we speak. Is that correct? Flip it. Okay, so it's the opposite. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. so what is what exactly is your affiliation with these restaurants? Um, so my, uh, really good friend, uh, Jim Ross, who is, he used to be a police officer. He was actually a Marine. Then he became a police officer. Then he was SWAT. Then he went to law school and now he owns the Jim Ross law firm, um, in Arlington, Texas. And then, uh, last year he, uh, decided to run for mayor. And so he won the election. So now he's the mayor of Arlington. Um, now he owns the Mercury Chop House and wanted uh, needed new new blood to run it, and so I took over operations for that. Um, you know, wrote an event structure. They've got a lot of large party areas, even though the restaurant's very small. They have like four or five 
large party areas. We get a lot of corporate attention. Um, you know, so we're, we're constantly hosting events. Uh, you know, last December we did 89 events in one month, um, for the holidays. And it's, this is, I mean, you're talking, this is a 5,000 square foot restaurant. It's not very big. Um, so it's, it was pretty, it was a, it's pretty insane. Um, wonderful restaurant, 4.5 star reviews across the board. And so it's a very popular gym of Arlington and it can compete with any steakhouse in the DFW area. I mean, it's just that good. So, um, we've got a really great crew. We've got a really great chef staff. And so then, uh, Jim came to me and said, Hey, we're going to build a new place, um, in the, so they're repurposing the Choctaw stadium, which is where the Texas Rangers used to play. And then they built globe life field across the street from it, literally across the street. So they decided to repurpose it. They're going to do bars, shops, restaurants, shopping. Um, there's going to be office space there. Um, the field remains. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson moved the XFL headquarters from Orlando, Florida to Arlington, Texas. And the Arlington team of the XFL is going to play at Choctaw Stadium. And there's going to be other things too. There's going to be um, you know, like, you know, there's going to be, uh, concerts and, you know, things like that. That really wasn't helpful with the light on my face, was it? Like, so we're going to just go back. <laughs> I thought it would be helpful, but it's not. So, uh, the, the XFL is going to play there. They're going to have concerts there. I think I read somewhere Zach Brown band is going to play there in 2023. So there's going to be a lot going on. Um, uh, but we took over, if people went to a lot of Rangers games, they would know where like the home run patio is. Um, the all-you-can-eat patio, the TGI Fridays, we took over that whole space. So now we have 13,000 square feet to work with. And we're going to have, um, it's going to be a live music venue, um, cigar lounge, and fine dining restaurant. So the humidor will be inside. All the smoking will be outside. But we're going to fashion the patio in such a way that we can use it all year round. And then um, we're going to have one side of the restaurant be full menu fine dining. Um, it's going to be a little more seafood forward, a little bit New Orleans inspired, um, upscale, um, upscale home cooking kind of stuff. We're still going to have steaks and chops um, there as I'm, well. I'm from, really I'm, from New, I'm from New Orleans, so I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay. We're going to have some really cool dishes um, on the menu for sure. And then the other side is going to be the live music area um, with the lounge that's going to be have a, like a condensed menu available there. Um, and then we're going to have, um, of course the cigar smoking patio. And then one of the, my favorite things that I get to do, and I'm really thankful that Jim trusts me with this is, you know, I get to curate the humidor. Um, I get to help curate the bar, which is amazing. Um, and we get to kind of make it, um, this really amazing space for people to discover when they come to Arlington. So we're literally right across the street from Globe Life Field, Texas Live, Live by Lowe's Hotel. Um, and then we, there's a new hotel being built right across the street from us. And I think it's going to be called Ocho because it's got 888 rooms. Okay. Um, so we're going to have like, it's, it's going to be just an incredible, um, you know, entertainment district to be a part of. And the coolest thing is if there's a, an event going on, you know, at, uh, the fields, like if there's a concert, if there's a game, whatever, we're considered a public space. So people don't have to buy a ticket to whatever's going on. So like, hear me now, you're going to want to pay attention. You're going to want to make your reservations early. Um, because if there is a concert, you can go out on our cigar patio and have a smoke and watch whatever's going on. 
you know, on the field. And I posted a picture on my Instagram. So you can find my Instagram at clearing the chamber. And then we also have at hearsay Arlington Instagram as well and Facebook too, um, where I showed you like from the cigar patio, what the view would look like on the field. And it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I did see you post that and I was like, that's pretty damn cool. I like that. So that's, that's cool that you, that he was giving you the opportunity to curate the bar. That, that's, that's super dope. I like that. And I'm not doing it by myself. Um, there's a lot of really cool um, people that have offered their services in the DFW Whiskey Club. We definitely um, want to have uh, club picks, uh, you know, as part of the bar. Um, we are, uh, I sat down and met with Herman Marshall distillery. Um, so actually my buddy from college, I didn't finish college, but I went to college for like a semester. And, um, one of my buddies that I knew in college bought the Herman Marshall distillery. Um, so he came and had lunch with me at the restaurant and we talked about the different juice that they have and what they're going to come out with. And we want to do some really cool recipes um, you know, on the, because we want to do local stuff. Like we want to, we want to get local produce. We want to buy local meat. We want to have local juice that's kind of featured on our menu. Um, as well as all the stuff that everybody else, you know, that, that comes and and wants to have, you know, like the gym beams and the, you know, mictors and the angels envy and stuff like that. But we want people to discover new Lou and we want people to discover Herman Marshall and, um, some of the smaller, you know, distilleries that are really producing good stuff. Yeah, I don't think I'm even familiar with Herman Marshall. Can't say I've ever can't say I've ever heard of it. They have um they don't have anything super high proof yet. Um, but that's okay because I mean I love a really good spicy high proof bourbon. I'm stag all day long. Like oh, I would yes. drink stag all day long. But like not um but that's not everybody's palate. As a matter of fact, I would say that a lot of whiskey drinkers aren't like high proof spicy whiskey drinkers. They want something smooth. They want something they can drink neat or on the cube. Um, that's going to just like taste good with different stuff or that they can like have with a, that they can pair with a good cigar. So I'll do like a, you know, like Steve Saka came out with the star Stillwell series and there's like four different ones in there. But one of those cigars is done with pipe tobacco and it's aromatic. And I'm not usually like a, um, a sweet cigar smoker, but man, if I'm drinking a stag, man, I would lo- like that star Stillwell goes so great with it, you know? So it's, it's kind of like just like experimenting with these pairings. And that's something that we're going to have a really cool opportunity to do at hearsay as well as come out with pairing menus, um, in different flights that people can enjoy with certain cigars. Um, and we can sell those, you know, on our menu and kind of do those flights for people and let them experiment with that. Yeah. So, uh, so when are y'all projected to op- uh, be opening up? Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to run into any significant supply chain issues. Um, we haven't really yet, but we're still ordering furniture and draperies and um, lighting and things like that. So um, right now, as and our general contractor's fantastic, like, um, you know, Hill Builders is amazing. Jack Hill, shout out. Um, so right now we're projected to open on December 16th. Um, so we're not going to do any Christmas parties there. Um, so don't, but we will have two private rooms and several semi-private areas that people can rent out, but I'm just reluctant to book people Christmas parties there this year, just in case something happens, but we are projected to be open on December 16th. Um, so hopefully we'll have a really rad new year's Eve party, um, that we can throw and that would be awesome. And then we can kick it off into 2023 and be ready for next holiday season for sure. 
Heck yeah. Yeah. Once y'all open up, I'm definitely gonna have to come come down there and check it out. So would y'all be open on Sunday? Yes. So a Mercury Chop House is not open on Sunday. Um, but this place will be open seven days a week. So we're gonna okay. do probably ten to ten. And that's one thing that I didn't really I don't enjoy about a lot of brunch places is they don't open until eleven. What's the point? Yeah. I mean, you're missing that hour in between. Like when you get up on a Sunday. You might not want, you don't want to go get breakfast at nine, but you don't want to go have lunch at 11. Like where's the 10 o'clock hour, you know, yeah. coming to play. So we're going to open from 10 to 10 on Sunday. Um, we're going to do a gospel brunch once a month, uh, which is going to be super cool. And then um, we're going to have live music um, several days a week. So whether it's a DJ, um, you know, I'm thinking maybe we, we haven't really kind of lined all this out yet, but we're working with Nash Tuberville, who's an amazing musician and he's kind of, kind of help us book some different stuff. And we want to do more of like a funk and blues forward. Um, not to say that we wouldn't book other genres of music if, if the, if it called for it, but, um, that's kind of what we want to be about is a little bit more funk, a little bit more blues. Um, maybe a little bit of jazz, not overly jazz, jazzy, but um, we want to have like really good live music several nights a week. And so we're kind of like writing ri- out and laying out what that looks like right now too. Okay. Yeah. That sounds really cool. Once y'all open up, I'm definitely going to have to come down there. So I got to, I got to be strategic about whenever I come to Fort Worth. Cause like it's my schedule is very, very weird, but especially during December because it's peak season and everyone and their moms ordering stuff. So we're working six days a week, and then Sunday yeah. I'm not I'm not going to want to do anything. I'm just going to want to lay at home and be like, lay yeah. So, but uh, well, just remember that we're not in Fort Worth. We're in Arlington. Arlington we're on the way, yeah. on the way to Fort Worth from Dallas. Um, so it's actually I, closer to you. I said um, Fort so Worth because be- I I said Fort Worth because I work in Fort Worth. That's why I was saying that. So yeah. um yeah, but no Arlington. Excuse me. Arlington. Yep. But yeah, excited for that. But yeah, so um now I know that you're for, for anyone that follows you, they they probably already know. But you are very outspoken in regards to you know the Second Amendment, and you call out you know politicians like it's your job which is very interesting to me. So why do you feel the need to call out these politicians? Um, I haven't always felt the need to do that. Uh, And then uh, probably 2018-ish, a really amazing lady named uh, Rachel uh, called me out. She was the director of, uh, the gun owners of America for the, for our region, for Texas region. And, uh, Rachel Malone was her name and she's not very active on social media anymore. I think she's back in school and she's concentrating on family, but she, um, would teach people how to testify in hearings for certain political things. And she had reached out to me. I had a a certain following. I wouldn't call it huge, um, but I had a very loyal, engaging following because I do teach guns as well and did that as a full-time living for many years. And I got back into restaurants. I wanted to, by the time I was 40, I wanted to have multiple streams of income. And I had this goal to, to take all of the things that I love to do and make money at it. So now, you know, I made that promise to myself when I was 30. And now that I'm 40, I get to uh, feed people. I get to smoke cigars for a living. 
I get to curate bourbon lists for a living and I get to teach people how to shoot guns. I mean, there is nothing else that I want to do for work. You know, I've like achieved the goal, right? So now we got to maximize it. But um, there was a really important hearing that was coming to Dallas, to Brookhaven College. It was called the gun rights hearing. And the, uh, there were house representatives that were coming to, to hear people about gun rights. And Rachel really wanted me to testify in this hearing. And I didn't want to do it because all I wanted to do was teach people how to shoot guns. I didn't want to get political. I didn't want to fight with people. I literally just wanted to be a resource for people to learn how to responsibly own a firearm. And, um, but then she showed me past testimony and I'm not here to knock on anyone that like, if you have the wherewithal and you make the time for, and you put the effort into going down to Austin or wherever the, the, wherever it's being held, wherever the, the hearing is being held um, to testify in front of elected officials, I applaud you. But she showed me a lot of testimony from other people and it was terrible. Um, the point wasn't getting across. It wasn't engaging. It was the same thing over and over again. And just because that may be the truth or it may be, you know, valid, like you have to really come at people a different way sometimes to get their attention. And so um, I saw that when she showed it to me and I was like, okay, I think you're probably right. And, and on top of the fact that women were not being vocal about gun rights, there weren't a lot of women that were testifying. It was, and I'm not mad at this either. I mean, but it was a lot of old white dudes that were testifying. And it's so once again, you have to come at people different because old white dudes have been advocating for gun rights for a long time. And maybe now it's time for someone else to come in and give their perspective on it as well. Because that's the thing about the second amendment is it's different for everyone. Everyone has a reason that they believe in it if they believe in it. And it's all, all foundational on self-defense or foundational on, you know, combating tyranny, but there's other nuances to it too. And it means something different to a woman than it might mean to a man, right? So they might be able to converge on the fact that the second amendment is important to protect children, but a guy doesn't have to worry as much about getting raped as a woman does. Do you see the difference? Right. Um, yeah. And then, and then if I stood next to a minority, I don't have to worry as much about racism as they do. Do you see what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's very layered and we have to look at it that way. And we have to understand that the second amendment just means something different to everyone. And so for me, it, you know, as a woman, a single woman who lives alone, who is my safety is solely my responsibility. I have to take full control over it. I don't want anybody messing with my gun rights. I don't want anybody making it more difficult for me. I don't want to have to jump through hoops. I don't have to pay unjust taxes. I want to be able to have my guns and defend myself and be responsible with it. And people just leave me alone. And that's what we did um, when we went to the gun rights hearing at Brookhaven College. And so I did. So to answer your question, prior to all of this, I didn't want to get involved. But once I understood that I wasn't being represented effectively, it was time to get involved. Yeah, that makes sense. And I respect that. That's awesome. So when you, you know, now a part of this too is educating 
our elected officials, right? They, they don't know everything. I had this conversation with Kelly Hancock uh, at a, a meeting one time. He's one of our, I think, state senators. Um, and he was saying how he's, he's involved in 12 committees. And I said, I'm not trying to bust your chops here, brother, but like, how can you possibly be a subject matter expert on 12 different subjects? <laughs> you know, like, how do you, how do you know how to vote? Like, what do you, you know? And he, yeah, I said, when it comes to guns, like, who do you lean on for information? And he said, the NRA. Well, the NRA is a bureaucratic mess right now. So clearly you're not keeping up with where that's going. Like you should be looking to other organizations like gun policy who actually has their shit together, who is going and fighting for actual things to get done and not just, uh, you know, being puppets for, you know, gun rights and then turning around and being hypocrites on the back end. Right. So you've got the, the EVP, of the NRA basically stealing money and his little assistant, Millie Hallow, stealing money from the NRA left and right. Nobody's doing anything about it. They wanted to reseat him and they wanted to bring Colonel Allen West in to be EVP. You know, it's time for a regime change, right? He's, you know, the EVP, the current EVP has been there for like 21 years and he's not getting anything done. And we're not speaking out on the things that matter at the NRA anymore, or we're being silent on the things that do, right? So the whole Philando Castile situation that came up, the NRA didn't say anything about that. Why? It was unfair. It was wrong. And there's been a myriad of other things that have, that have happened since then that the NRA didn't, uh, didn't represent well. Okay. So they, they've become, you know, they, they've gotten too into social issues and not gun issues. They need to go back to just talking about gun issues and being a part of one thing and one thing only, and that is gun rights and and get rid of everything else. So stop supporting the NRA right now. Start supporting uh, organizations like gun policy and, and, you know, and move forward. But that that's part of the education that we need to give to our political figures because they can't be subject matter experts on anything. So they have to have people to trust. And if there was another avenue of uh, you know, professionalism that I could go down, I would want to be that subject matter expert for politicians. I would want somebody to be be an elected official and be able to lean on me for accurate information and for, you know, look, maybe you should say it this way instead of that way. But we need elected officials that are going to protect the Second Amendment. Greg Abbott isn't even a friend of the Second Amendment. That the The debate that he had with Beto O'Rourke was absolutely disappointing um, in, in the subject of the Second Amendment because it, the Greg Abbott had every opportunity in those two or three minutes when they were talking about gun rights to say, I believe in the Second Amendment. I think it's silly if, we, if we're going to raise gun ownership age for long guns from 18 to 21. We need to raise our kids better. We need to start educating before we legislate because that's the answer to literally everything. If, if, if someone would sponsor a bill that brought gun education back into schools, you wouldn't be seeing any of this happening right now. There wouldn't be mass shootings anymore. Um, there wouldn't be, um, you know, there would be far less accidents with firearms, right? That's a problem right now too that hospitals are seeing. So we have to educate people on these very important tools, but then you, you have people that don't want to do that and all they want to do is control. So that's why I challenge on Twitter 
and on Instagram. I challenge Beto O'Rourke all the time to debate me on firearms because he needs to be educated on this. And right now he's got a bunch of talking heads in his ear that are telling him that gun control is the fix to this problem. And that's what's going to keep our kids safe. And that is a lie. That is a 100% lie. And all it's going to do is cost more lives for children. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, coming back to like mass shootings. um, I, so in my position with UPS, you know, I had, I, like I was saying, I have the opportunity to travel or depending on the need in certain areas of the United States. And uh, whenever the mass shooting happened in uh, Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, um, they sent me down there, I think, I want to say like maybe two days after it happened. And just to help out with the, uh, the UPS facility because they had some employees that were directly affected by what had happened. And, um, you know, it's a very uh, rural area. And, um, it was very, it was very weird to me to go there and then, you know, have to go to deliver to certain businesses and stuff like that, because that was the whole point of me going there. I'm going there to relieve whoever was the guy that was delivering whatever I took over his route, yada, yada, yada. I would go into like a Whataburger or a random restaurant or a business and like they would have armed guards everywhere. And I'm like, whoa. It was, uh, I don't know, it was just very, it was crazy to me, just because I've never seen something like that before. But that's that's being reactive and not proactive. Exactly. Right? I mean, so the likelihood of somebody coming back and doing this again in the near future there is unlikely. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I'm saying it's unlikely. Okay? Um, when they should have been proactive. So when these school shootings started to become a little more prevalent, my alma mater high school contacted me. Um, and so now you have to understand we're getting older. And so the people that are running my high school are people I went to high school with, <laughs> you know? Oh. And so they contacted me and said, can you come and talk to us about what it would look like for us to arm teachers in schools? And, and they did everything right. They didn't shoot from the hip and make a rash decision. They, they literally started the conversation and the conversation went on for months and that's okay. Um, but they were trying to be proactive and not necessarily reactive. Now they were reacting to a situation, but they wanted to make sure that they did it the right way. So they, I went and had a conversation with members of the school board and then they had me come back and testify at the next school board meeting on why this was a good idea and how it could be accomplished safely and effectively. Um, now, I didn't have the certifications to do the training for the teachers and certify them as like SROs or whatever. Um, so they went through a different person to do that. And that's totally fine. Um, and then um, just three weeks ago, so they now they've gone, they've, these teachers have gone through the training. And we have armed teachers at my alma mater high school. And then to make things even better, they actually hired this really great SRO um, who actually went to high school at my alma mater high school, um, but had a career in law enforcement um, before they hired him. He had a very lengthy career in law enforcement, and now they've hired him to take over security protocols at the high school. This is good. This is what schools need to be doing to keep kids safe, okay? It's not going to traumatize them. If they have interactions with police officers in their life, right? Then why wouldn't you want to have one on campus? This isn't traumatizing to kids. This is a good thing. This is a way for kids to learn. 
okay? And have somebody there that they can depend on to help them be safe. But the biggest part of this too is teaching our kids that their safety lies on them too once they get to a certain point in life. And if you're not teaching your kids that, that's a problem. And I'll give you an example. There's a guy named Kevin who lives in Florida uh, that I've trained with before. And his kids were involved. His kids went to Parkland. Okay. Well, Sandy Hook happened before Parkland. And when Sandy Hook happened, um, he, uh, he sat his daughters down and said, listen, you need to understand that if this happens at your school, you need to have a plan. And so he took them to school and he showed them, he taught them concealment versus cover. He taught them where their best exits were in certain situations. Um, And he quizzed them all the time about it to the point where they would get upset with him. And then they, they would talk to their friends about it. And then their friends would talk to their parents and the parents would come back to Kevin and say, you're scaring our kids. You need to stop scaring our kids. So this whole town turns against this guy who's just trying to teach his kids to have a plan, okay? Then what happens? Parkland gets shot up. Do you want to know whose kids survived and saved other kids on the way out? His kids. Damn. Okay? So you have to, like, going against the grain when it matters is important. and But it takes a brave soul to do that. And now he wrote a book about it and I'll send you the book. I can't remember the name of it right now, but I'll send you the title of the book. He wrote a book about all of this. And so it's, it's a problem because these kids are depending on their parents to keep them safe, but their parents aren't brave and their parents aren't doing this and their parents aren't going against these societal norms to teach their kids these life-saving skills. These are life-saving skills. Okay. And then you look at people like this, this Yahoo in Santa Fe, New Mexico or whatever that tried to pass a bill last legislature criminalizing parents for teaching their kids how to shoot guns. What the fuck? Like there's no other reaction that you can have to that and, except for what the fuck. Because parents have been teaching their kids how to hunt and how to, how to use guns for sport um, and how to use guns as self-defense, quite frankly, since the beginning of fucking time. So how are you going to now come back and tell a parent that it's a bad idea to give their kids a life-saving skill? That's like, that's like teaching, that's like telling a kid or that's like telling a parent that teaching their kids how to cook is a bad idea. I mean, it's the same thing, right? You have to, you have to learn how to cook if you want to eat to sustain life. Okay. Well, you're going to have to learn how to use a gun sometime if you ever want to try to save one or save yourself. So it's all about education before legislation. And I don't really understand why people don't get it. So I got, I got one last question for you. So that, that was, that's a, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I, I really like this, where this conversation is going. I, I really, I really like it. It's really cool. And you're obviously very educated on this whole subject. And it's super cool. Um, so if anybody wanted to actually come to you to take lessons, how would they go about doing that? Uh, right now, um, I'm only doing lessons on Sundays, um, because I got to get this restaurant open. Um, so I take on probably two to three clients, uh, every Sunday, um, or most Sundays. Sometimes I like to have a day off myself. Um, but they, you can just, uh, get with me on Facebook, um, at clearing the chamber, um, Instagram at clearing the chamber. 
Um, my website's under construction because I'm offering. I'm going to be offering new classes next year, so I'm writing out those descriptions and figuring out what dates that we're going to do those. Um, so, um, but absolutely get with me. And and the biggest thing is you can't just be reactive. You have to be proactive. So if you're a woman, especially, and you're you're living alone. Um, you, you go to work alone, you leave at all hours of the morning. I mean, my cousin lives with me. She leaves to go to work at five o'clock in the freaking morning before the sun comes up. You think this woman isn't packing every day? Give me a break, right? Like she's on top of it. So you have to make sure that you're being proactive and not reactive. And that's a big part of it too, is, you know, just because something hasn't happened to you yet, doesn't mean that it won't. And I can't tell you, I can't even begin to tell you the number of women that come to me after the rape after the mugging, after the abuse, okay? Like you have to think about that beforehand and you have to be prepared for it beforehand because dating is so much more dangerous now than it was before because you're literally meeting total strangers. You have to think about what it was like before. Like a lot of times prior to social media, prior to the internet, whatever, people were hooking you up with people they knew, And even then it wasn't a hundred percent that they were safe. Okay. But it was better because they had somebody that either that knew them, that could vouch for them, whatever. And you kind of had an idea of what you were getting into. Now you're, you're literally going on dates with strangers on social media who may not even be the person that they're portraying themselves to be on the internet. Okay. And you could literally be walking into a trap at any time. So it's not just about teaching people guns. It's not just about teaching people how to fight. It's about teaching people how to investigate who they're meeting. And the red flags to be wary of and how to communicate where you are and what you're doing with people that you do trust. Because one of the biggest uh, problems that law enforcement has in these particular situations where people or women or children disappear is nothing was communicated prior. They have nowhere to start. Where did you go on the date? I don't know. But if your best friend, the person that you trust the most, goes, she communicated with me at 738 and said that she was at Pinstack in Irving on a bowling date with this guy. And then I didn't hear from her again, you know, like they have somewhere to start. They have a place to go to get footage and see where she went in the parking lot, you know, X, Y, Z. So you have to set yourself up for success, you know, if you don't want to be a victim and that takes education and it takes a little bit of work. And a lot of times people, especially women just walk around in fucking law law land going, no, that could never happen to me. No one would ever do that to me. And then the next thing you know, you're the missing person on NBC or CNN or Fox News that everybody's looking for that got snatched up by some dude in a van because you were running at 530 in the morning with no gun. It's not a difficult thing to comprehend. It's just a difficult thing for people to wrap their head around that it could happen to them. Yeah, yeah, because you always think like it's never going to happen to me at all. So no, it is. It is crazy, and it's. And one more thing too is, people will literally like when you take on this lifestyle, especially as a woman, people are going to make fun of you. People are going to think that you're paranoid. People are going to think you're crazy, and people are going to think that you that you don't have a head about you because I literally take a gun everywhere, like everywhere I possibly can. Walk my dog, check. Grocery store, check. Go check my mail, check, right? Answer the door. I don't answer the door. I don't care if I know that my mama is coming over. I don't answer the door without a weapon on me. But people will say, well, you're crazy and you're paranoid, whatever. No, I'm not. I'm prepared. 
I'm prepared for whatever might happen and I'm giving myself my absolute best chance for survival. And so you have to understand that if you want to stay safe, people are going to make fun of you and you're going to have to just like move that shit aside because they're yeah. going to learn one way or the other. And there's almost every scenario that you can think of, right? I have a shower gun. I have a shower gun. Cause I'm not going out like that. And you can Google almost every ridiculous situation that somebody would make fun of you for having a gun for. And I promise you somebody died that way. Is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So I appreciate you coming on. Keep doing you. I love the energy. It's super cool. Uh, I'm going to have to come out to uh, the restaurants at some point and meet you in person, introduce my uh, fiance to you. You seem like a super cool chick. Again, appreciate you coming on. Keep doing you. And uh, until next time, everybody. Peace. Absolutely.